0: Welcome to the iConnect with Baxter Canada podcast. This is where we connect with healthcare providers from various clinical settings to learn more about how they are leading through innovation, protocol development, and integration of evidence to provide excellent clinical care to their patients. Join the conversation with your hosts from Medical Affairs at Baxter Canada. My name is Michelle DeGloria and I will be your host for today's podcast. Joining me is Sarah Crow, a critical care nurse practitioner from British Columbia and she will be discussing the results from her recent publication that was published in the Intensive and Critical Care Nursing Journal titled The Effect of COVID-19 Pandemic on the Mental Health of Canadian Critical Care Nurses Providing Patient Care During the Early Phase of the Pandemic, a Mixed Methods Study. I hope you enjoy the conversation. I'd like to welcome our guest today, Sarah Crow. Sarah, I would like you to give us a little bit of an introduction of your current role and your experience.
1: Hi, thank you so much for inviting me to, to speak with you today. Um, my current role is I am a nurse practitioner in an ICU in at Sur Memorial Hospital in BC, Canada. Uh, I've been in ICU for over 20 years in a variety of of different roles, but most recently the last three years I've been here as the uh, nurse practitioner. Um, I've also held other roles such as clinical nurse specialist and educator and bedside nurse, so definitely have a wealth of critical care experience. Uh, In addition to my role as the nurse practitioner, um, I also have uh, a strong interest in research and I'm also part of the Canadian Association of Critical Care Nurses and I'm their current vice president.
0: Fantastic. Thank you for joining us. Um, Today, we've asked you to join us to discuss a recent publication that was published in the Intensive and Critical Care Nursing Journal. And really, um, we'll get started with the articles titled The Effect of COVID-19 on the Mental Health of Canadian Critical Care Nurses Providing Patient Care During the Early Phase of the Pandemic. And it was a mixed method study. I'm wondering if you could provide us with a little bit of background on What motivated you to examine this topic and what some of the objectives were when you went into this?
1: Okay, um, so basically when the pandemic first hit, I think there was a lot of disbelief when we first heard about COVID emerging from China. And we had been through, some of our staff anyway, had been through SARS and we'd had the Ebola scare a few years ago. Um, so there was this real hesitancy about whether or not this was actually going to reach us or not. Um, we did find out very quickly in March of 2020 that, yes, COVID um, affected us and it affected the uh, global um, health care uh, worldwide. So being front-centered, giving patient care during that time, really um, the inspiration for doing this, this research was looking at my colleagues and seeing their struggles, um, really seeing how they were struggling with um, just everything that was going on around them and really felt like this was an opportunity um, to give them a voice and to really understand what they were going through. I think there was a lot of groups early on that were uh, guessing at that experience and and making assumptions, and it really was important to me to be able to give the people in the front line a true voice in what, what they were going through and how it was affecting them.
0: Amazing.
1: Um, so yeah, that was that was the general objective was just, like I say, just to understand what it was um, and to make sure that there was a global picture. So we always know that um, there's different spokespeople out there, but there's a lot of people who um, are just working with their heads down trying to get through the shift. And we really wanted to give everyone the opportunity to have a voice in that and to really feel, um, to hear what they were going through. So this was the, the main objective was to give, to give critical care nurses the voice. When
0: we're looking at your Uh, Publication, can you describe the design and the methods that you use to gather this data?
1: Yeah, so we designed this data um, as it's called a convergent parallel mixed method study. So, what we did was we used uh, validated questionnaires, so, it was an online survey that was. given to staff, they were invited to participate. Um, in addition, we also did one-on-one interviews with uh, a smaller portion of staff. So we really wanted to get sort of the global um, feel of how everyone was doing through the survey. Um, and then we really dive deeper into the individual experiences with a smaller group. Um, so to do this, we used two validated surveys. Uh, we used one that's called the Impact of Event Scale. Um, and this is a scale, uh, a survey that was developed and validated uh, for looking at symptoms of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, And we also used the Depression-Anxiety Stress Scale, or the DAS-21. It was really important that we made sure everyone knew these were just snapshots in time. So while we did have some interesting results, um, it was very important for us just to to really stress that it's not diagnostic of PTSD or depression. It was just really about how the staff were feeling at that moment in time. But with that survey data, then we used the data Um, that we were gathering um, and then went and saw and interviewed different staff members. And then we built on each interview um, from what we were hearing to validate and to explore more of the concepts that were coming out with more staff. Uh, So in the end, we actually um, got about a 45% response rate. So of the 240 staff that... um, were eligible to participate. We had uh, 109 do the surveys, and then we had 15 who did one-on-one interviews with myself.
0: What would you say were some of the most unexpected findings from your both the survey and the one-to-one
1: interviews? Um, I think because I have, have been working alongside of um, critical care nurses, um, I'm not sure that they were the findings were unexpected, but I think the degree in what the things were felt was unexpected. So, I mean, I knew and I felt that people were struggling during this time, um, but the fact that we had such high levels of people experiencing like post-traumatic stress syndromes or um, depression, anxiety, and stress—the the degree of what it, in which it was felt was surprising, um, and that I think was what. I want to say caught me off guard. I knew nurses are traditionally very, very resilient. Um, and I think this gave us a window into their experience. Um, that was a very real struggle that was going on. Um, it, it, it was surprising. And then the, the interviews, what we found, again, wasn't necessarily surprising. We did find that people were really struggling with the amount of information coming at them um, and that they were overwhelmed with information. But I think some of the, some of how it touched them individually, the the different fears people had was quite alarming. Um, so we knew people struggled with the amount of information coming at them. Um, we didn't realize things like while they were in the room providing care to COVID patients, they were actually frightened that there was a new piece of information waiting in their email that they didn't know, um, and that. Their minds were sort of stuck on, what if there's something new and I'm not protected or I'm not doing the right thing for my patient anymore, just because things changed so rapidly that there was this just fear of, of missing information. Um, being overwhelmed, I think, is something that globally everybody felt, um, but I think um, from the, the frontline staff really being in those rooms with COVID patient and really not not knowing for sure what was the best way to do things what was the best way to protect themselves I think um that piece too was was just added to the anxiety and stress they were all feeling oh I can say and the other thing I think that was new to this um pandemic for staff was the the fear of bringing something home to their families and also feeling ostracized in their own communities so we heard from a lot of participants how they were afraid to go into public or that people didn't want them in public, um, that they had people be uh, angry at them for walking too close when they're out walking their dogs or that, why are you at the grocery store? Um, you shouldn't be here. Um, you work with COVID patients. So I think that was another sort of surprising um, discovery through this research, too, was just how, how much this impacted the staff on all levels of their lives, whether it was their work life, their family life, their personal lives.
0: Earlier you said one of the reasons for doing this was really about bringing the voice to the frontline workers and allowing them to have the opportunity to share how they were feeling and make more people aware of that. You also um, indicated that you were fairly um, confident in, or fairly uh, aware of, of what the general sense and the general feelings were on the unit because you were working alongside with these staff. Do you think the results were, were shocking to um, administrators or others outside of the ICU?
1: I do think the degree of what was being felt by the critical care staff was shocking. Um, when I did share, um, I should uh, preface the study was done at a single site. Um, when I did share with the senior leadership at the site, um, they were very concerned about the well-being of the staff, and there was an immediate uptake of the information, and they wanted to know, what can we do? What can we do to support staff? What do you need from us? Um, we don't want to see our, our team struggle. Um, so I think outside of the ICU setting, I think um, people were surprised. And I think it's because nursing in general, like I said before, has always been this resilient a group of professionals that at the expense of themselves, at the expense of their teams, um, they continue on day after day, no matter what's thrown at them, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's the opioid crisis. Um, critical care nurses especially deal deal with these things on a day-to-day basis, but the pandemic really made it... Um, there was, a, there was more of it all at once. So I think that resilience factor that people have come to assume nurses have was really stretched. Um, and I would say that it actually, many aren't resilient and many are struggling. I think that was definitely heard uh, by senior leadership.
0: From your, uh, the results of the study and the conclusions, as you said, it was uh, a moment in time. What do you think are some of the biggest implications for clinical practice moving forward?
1: So definitely, I think streamlined communication is very important. And I did see an uptake of that feedback right away. So having a, a cohesive, planned communication strategy um, is important. And I think that was one of the biggest learnings from this early on, is that we needed to know who who had the information. There had to be one person responsible um, so that staff knew where to go. They They didn't they couldn't have you know, five or six different uh, avenues of information coming at them because oftentimes it was conflicting. Um, so I think that was one of the biggest takeaways early on was to have clear communication with a designated voice for that communication. Um, the other thing I think that came very early was that um, our nurses uh, are not immune to the stress of their job and that we need to do a better job of taking care of them and their mental health. Um and so with that, we were able to develop resilience rounds for the staff. Uh, we were able to do critical stress um, debriefing um, team sessions. We were able to, to organize one-on-one mini group sessions for them. Uh, we also had the ethics team involved because the, the way they were practicing was changing. Um, and so there's been a lot more uh, emphasis on the mental health well-being, which I think has been long overdue. Um, and I, so I think that was a, another... While an unfortunate uh, consequence was a, definitely a good a good learning from this event was that, you know, uh, the amount of stress that critical care and nursing in general is put under on a day-to-day basis when you pile something like this on is um, needs to make sure that the teams are okay.
0: Um, from those uh, strategies that you implemented, was there any one in particular that you would say was probably the most effective or um, that you would highly encourage others to consider?
1: I think the resilience rounds are the ones that staff appreciated the most. So what we did for those is we had a a psychiatrist who has been doing some work around resilience and team building, and she came to our unit and she spoke in small groups to really help people um, articulate what they were feeling. Um, She helped them normalize what they were feeling too, that it was okay to be frustrated. It's okay um, if you're used to doing... um, something a certain way and now you're unable to, that it's not because you're choosing not to, it's because the situation around you isn't allowing. Um, So it really gave staff the validation um, to be able to express some of their concerns. Um, I think that was probably one of the the most impactful things that we've done. Um, The other thing I'd have to say is uh, the communication and, and the streamline of it. One thing that I would like to see more of, though, is giving the front line a voice. Um, it's been interesting through these, since doing the first study, um, I was approached again by multiple people, um, not only from my own site um, and my own health authority, but actually across Canada once they saw the publication, really wanting to know what else could we do and could I do this study again, um, that they wanted more information about how people were now that we were a year in. Um, so it's not published yet, but we did uh, redo the study uh, across Canada just this past May of 2021 uh, with over 425 participants this time um, from all 10 provinces. And again, we've just seen um, a tremendous impact to the mental health of our of the staff right across Canada. Um, and this time we actually looked at intent to leave as well mm-hmm. um, because there has been rumors of a lot of staff um, wanting to leave the profession nice. and wanting to really get a, a firm grasp on was this A serious uh, concern or not and I have to say that it was heartbreaking to see how many people really do want out of the profession that they're exhausted they're tired um, and that they need a break.
0: That is um, very um, worrisome as a a nurse myself I know that is something that I've definitely heard uh, from many friends and um, previous colleagues that they're just at the point of of being done but then there's almost um, tear (laughs) point of um, your resilience and everything, the hope that maybe things will turn the corner and maybe it won't be as bad um, in the next month or the next two months or the next three months. Um, So that that is very worrisome. And I think all leaders should be very concerned about how will we manage care if there is um, if the intent to leave does actually come to fruition.
1: Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, I, the, the results aren't aren't published yet, but one of the things too that I really learned to the second study was that nurses want a voice. They really want to be heard. Um, there's been a lot of talk about nurses being resilient, the heroes of healthcare. I think more than anything, what nurses really were looking for was acknowledgement and the okay to say, you know, we're not okay. This was hard. And I think they were looking for the their leaders to say that as well. I heard a lot of, of teams, you know, they they're trying to rally their teams. They want to they want to inspire people to keep going, but I think it comes to a point where it's actually okay for leaders to say we're not okay. We are doing the best we can, but we're not okay. Right. And then instead of looking at how do we rebuild and how do we b- build resilience, I think one of the things I would recommend is we take smaller steps because looking at trying to reinvigorate nursing and re-engage nursing is a huge undertaking. I think right now, because people are still so mired in the trenches of this pandemic is taking smaller steps. How do we get through the next 12 hours? Mm-hmm. How do we get through this weekend? What does the team need right now? Uh, trying to give people the permission to take a day off that, you know, mandating overtime while well, the patients need care and we're, and we're stuck in a really difficult place our staff also need care, and we need to give them a break.
0: Wondering what, um, if you have any thoughts or any suggestions on how nurses can have a voice, what would you recommend organizations do to give nurses the opportunity to speak openly and freely about how they're feeling?
1: Oh, that's a tough one, because I know there's been a lot of nurses who are trying to speak freely through social media, through their unions. Um, and it's it's a delicate balance of being the professional, but also um, also speaking the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think from a higher level of leadership, there's this, you want to give people a voice, but you also don't want to... Um, to scare the public either, because we are the most trusted profession out there. Mm. Um, people are looking to us to make sure they're going to be okay, and to hear that your nurses aren't okay is a very unsettling message to send. So, um, I think I think it needs to start with leadership listening to nurses, that, and giving them a voice within their own teams. Mm-hmm. Um, I think leadership being a little more transparent of, hey, I know I know we're not okay. But again, going back to like the simple steps, how can we get through today? What's important for today? Um, And taking more of of an approach of, I appreciate what you're doing. I know this is hard. And just leave it at, you know, period, full stop instead of, but we need more from you. Right. I think there needs just to be that. I know there's nothing I can do to help. I know we're doing as much as we can. We've brought in extra staff. We've redeployed people who don't normally work in critical care. I know that the stress is the best I can do right now. Um, I think it's just nurses looking for that acknowledgement of this isn't ideal. We're all doing the best we can. Um, and I think by management and leadership being a little more transparent in their own struggles, it'll help validate it for the frontline as well, that they're not alone, that leadership is struggling to.
0: So my last question is, what are the top three recommendations you have for healthcare organizations if you could only pick three moving forward based on, your, on the results that you've seen?
1: Have a clear communication plan. Um, and, what, and when I say that, I think it's very important to decide who is a spokesperson, or what team is the spokesperson, what day and what time they will deliver information. Um, you don't want to overwhelm your staff with constantly changing information. You want them to know exactly who is going to have the right information at the at the time. Um, and then when it's communicated, be as clear as possible. Um, so an example of this is that we decided that Tuesdays and Thursdays at 3 o'clock were when new information was given. So that way there's, there's an opportunity before the weekend to ask questions. You don't have to worry about it coming all times and days. Um, and that way it was given frequently enough that a change that happened on Monday can wait, wait till Tuesday. Um, so being really, really purposeful in identifying who you're, who and how the communication is going to come from. I think the other thing is looking at small steps. What can I do today that's going to help you? Um, would be the second thing I would recommend is looking at small pieces because you get overwhelmed when you look at the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. How do we get through today? And if today is a too big of an ask, how do we get through till lunchtime? How do we get through the next four hours? Really trying to figure out a plan and that everyone has a say and knows what the plan is can make a big difference. Uh, the third thing I would say is give your staff space to, uh, to not be okay and give them an opportunity to take a break. I think there's lots of different ways that we can do this. I know some organizations have anti-fatigue policies that will say how many shifts in a row staff can work. I think we need to stick to those. Um, I think we need to be mindful of one another. Um, So if you see colleagues struggling, encourage them to take a break. Make it okay to take that break. Another really inventive um, idea that I saw one unit using was a stoplight idea. So on their assignment board, they have magnets that are red, yellow, and green. You have the option of putting up a magnet if you want to, but green basically says, I'm good. Today's a good day. I am ready for whatever the day brings. Yellow, I'm struggling today, and red's like, I'm here, but, but I'm not okay. And then it gives them the ability to communicate without actually getting into the details, too. So it gives just that anonymous, um, not okay today, I need some help, without anyone having to pry. So I think it's a really great way to kind of uh, empower our teams to ask for help.
0: I love that. That's fantastic. Um, There's one thing that I know about nurses and that they are very creative, and when given... Uh, problem they come up with some excellent solutions on how to manage so um, kudos to everyone who has tried to uh, find a way through this um, as difficult as it has been um we're definitely going to be looking forward to seeing the next publication and i'm hoping sarah that you would join me again to talk about it once it's out and published and we will be including the link to access uh this publication that we talked about today within the um podcast recording, so um, it will be open for anyone who wants to um, access it and read it.
1: Oh, wonderful. And I mean, and I just want to say, I know this was a pretty heavy um, talk today. I I do want to say that there were some great things that came out as well. I just want to end on a bit of a positive note that, you know, there was a lot of good things about the teams and how proud people were of the teams. And I think there was also interesting comments about being part of history and being there. Um, to see this through, so definitely hard times, but there were there were glimmers of hope in that too.
0: Yes, no, that's fantastic, and and I think uh, we all need to a little bit of that silver lining. It has definitely been a very difficult um, 18 plus months now. Um, I think regardless of of what sort of capacity you've been um, working in, living in, uh, we've all certainly had our challenges. So I do appreciate. Uh, ending on that silver lining, because uh, often it is difficult to find uh, the glimmers of hope that we need to get through.
1: I agree. And thank you so much again for the opportunity to to talk about this. It's definitely a passion of mine and near near and dear to my heart.
0: Thank you, Sarah.
1: Thank you. So thanks for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss our next episode. Please reach out to us by email if you have any questions, comments or feedback. We look forward to having you back with us next time.
0: Thank you for joining us for the episode of I Connect with Baxter. All of the opinions and experiences expressed in this episode are those of the guest speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Baxter Canada. If there are other areas of interest you would like to see included on future podcasts, please email those to iConnect at baxter.com.